0: Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Curse of comfort. Now, if you would, just go straight to the scripture. You can leave that up there, Lisa. Don't worry about the scripture yet. But we're going to go to 2 Samuel chapter 7. And, and, and I want to share something with you this morning. I, I, I want you to know that this sermon series is unique. Because it did not start with a deep study. It did not start with a book read. This series was born out of a problem in me. See, several months ago, um, I had been working for a... The Surfside site, and you know I was working seven days a week, 16-hour days. I was coming here on church for Sunday, preaching and going out to Surfside to search for human remains. I was working about 154 hours a week. And, and I was trying to be a good father, a good husband, a good pastor. I had to navigate the pitfalls of this church during a pandemic, and, and, I, and I am proud of what we've accomplished and what we've weaved through during the pandemic. I had to navigate the pitfalls and the void of my father-in-law passing. And so as we began to see all this pressure putting on me, we were given an opportunity to go away for a week and for my wife and I to just spend some quality time getting unplugged and having no time restrictions and no appointments to go to and and didn't have to be anywhere if we didn't want to go. We had this opportunity to just get away, amen? Now, I, I must admit that I had decided that during this getaway, I was going to be intentional and have this unrestricted time with God. But can I be brutally honest with you I was going to be selfish I was going to spend this week this unrestricted time with God for myself I was going to read the word and not have to put together a sermon I was going to go into deep prayer not for anybody but me I was going to just have quality time with God. And so I had bought myself a a new leadership book to read. I had found this 10-day Bible reading plan. I mean, I was ready to have this intentional time with God. And I don't say that to be overtly spiritual. I say that because I was going to be selfish. Man, once we loaded the car up and... Departed our house to get unplugged. We arrived at our destination and the condo was right there on the beach. I mean right there on the, you all know I don't like the beach. (laughs) But it was nice to be right there on the beach. Day one, we arrived, we had no plans, we had no agenda, we had no schedule. and Nothing of importance needed to be attended to. The day was so relaxing, and I didn't do nothing with God. I said to myself, well, you know, I've got tomorrow. Today was just a kickoff day, you know. I've got tomorrow. Well, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six came, and before I knew it, we were loading the car up and heading home. And I must confess to you, I, I watched more television. I, I I went to the beach more than I ever gone to. We went to the pool every day. I slept in every day. I took a nap every day. I drank lots of coffee. I I I, I, I surfed on the internet more than I ever done, ate many a donuts, had such a A laughter time with my fam with my wife and my friends and didn't spend no time with God and when I got home I was refreshed I was revived but I was angry with myself I mean church how could this happen I had all the time in the world to spend time with God and I didn't I understand how it happens when you're torn a hundred different directions and you got baseball and and soccer and you got uh, work and you got your children and you got this and you got that. I understand that you don't spend that quality time. But when you have no interruptions, when you have no restrictions, when you have no schedule, how could I have not spent time with God? Then the Holy Spirit placed something in my heart. Place something in my mind. What if my comfortable week made me weak? Oh, let us sit for a second. What if my comfortable week made me weak? And so, for the next couple of months, I began to study on this ideal of comfort. And my heart began to really soak in some things. And and the study, as I got deeper and deeper into the study, I I began to see that maybe there's a curse to comfort. You may not realize this, but this is affecting all of us. Because most of us, our number one pursuit in life is Comfort. Oh, I know. I'm not gonna get no help. I'm telling you right now. This sermon series is not gonna. There is gonna be none of this preaching, preaching. No, I ain't gonna get none of that. But let me help you. We used to say, "Come on." I know you all gonna say preaching this. We used to say, "I just need a good car that gets me from point A to point B. I don't care what it looks like. Just Grandpa, I want that car. You want that car? That car kind of ugly. I don't care." As long as it gets me to work and, and to school, I'm okay with it, right? But now, now, we want a luxury car that's like, kind of like a recliner seats and a whole entertainment system. And that's not enough. We now want it to drive itself. Like you're going to put it on autopilot and drive through the mountains of North Carolina in the snow. You are not doing that. Some of you, they go to the gym and work out. You get to the gym, you're supposed to sweat at the gym. I'm just letting you know, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to sweat, right? And, and, and listen, this, in case you all don't know, we have a young lady here. She leads uh, an aerobics class, right? An aerobics class at the, at the Homestead Center. So uh, join them if they want to go. But you're supposed to sweat. But some of you, you get to your gym to work out and you're upset when there's a sign that says, AC has been broken, sorry. Well, I'm supposed to sweat. Why am I upset that the AC is broken? Some of you upgrade your phone, not because it's faster than the old one you have, but because it's just nanoseconds faster, not because it has all these amazing upgrades, because it has one or two upgrades. You upgrade your phone. Comfort Tribe has become our number one commodity, and yet I think that this thing that we are pursuing may be poisoning us. Research has revealed that we are less resilient because we are more comfortable. Research has revealed that we live, less, we live shorter lives than we did before because we live for comfort. We, we don't have the ability to critically think anymore because we're seeking this comfortable life. And I want to say this. As your spiritual leader, listen to me, please. Our desire for comfort is veering us away from God's plan for our lives. I'm going to say it again. Our desire for comfort is veering us away for God's plan over our lives. So I took my struggle and I went into a deep study. And this is what I found. The curse to comfort can be found in the all-time great scripture through the life of King David. Mm. And for the next few weeks, we're going to study his life in detail and break it down to show you. See, some of you may just know that David killed Goliath. Some of you may just know that David was a songwriter. David was passionate for God. David had a heart for God. David stood up to his enemies. That's all you know about David. And listen to me. That is only the first 30 years of his life. Something shifted when David turned 30. His first 30 years, David, his integrity is impeccable. His passion is unrelenting. And he'll stand up to anyone that comes against his God. But catch this. Something happens at the age of 30 in his life. And there is this evident shift that takes place. And the last 40 years of his life, if you looked at it, it looks nothing like the first 30 years. In fact, the last 40 years of his life is characterized by impatience and scandal and compromise and fear. He looks nothing like he did his first 30 years. So my question is this, why does he start out so strong, but in such, in such a struggle, what was the shift? At the age of 30, David moved into the palace in the most comfortable season of his life. Oh, I'm about to preach to you. At the age of 30, He moved into the palace. There is something about these royal walls and the life of ease that caused him to make a series of missteps. So today, let's look at misstep number one. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. And I'm going to read to you. When King David was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest for all the surrounding enemies. Stop right there was settled in his palace and gave him rest. I don't know what your definition of comfort is, but that is a definition of comfort. The king summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, I am living in a beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God. Now, for those who don't know, the ark of God, uh, God's presence was in this box, and it went from tent to tent, from city to city. It followed the people of Israel. And this was how God was in the presence of Israel before Jesus. Was He was in this box. And it followed him everywhere. And you can trace this all the way to the Exodus. But he was in this box, bar- bar- but the ark of God out there in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Go ahead and do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. Right there, Nathan is saying to David, Listen, bro, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know exactly what you're thinking. You want to build God a temple. That's a great idea. So what happens is two guys in a truck unload the rest of David's stuff into the palace, He's loving life. He's happy. I mean, he used to be sleeping in a cave. He's used to running from a mean king trying to kill him. And now he has a walk-in shower. He has a heated pool. He has a butler. When he wakes up in the morning and says, Sir, what would you like for breakfast, sir? And he doesn't have to hunt for it anymore. He doesn't have to fight for life anymore. He's got it good. This place is amazing. And David Somewhere in that journey decides, if it's so amazing for me, then I should build God something similar. Because God should have something as amazing as I have. So he calls all his advisors, he calls the general contractor, he calls all the builders, the electricians, the plumbers, and he says, I want to build a palace for God. The construction team begins to order everything to build his palace, but look what happens in 2 Samuel 7, verses 4 and 6. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David. This is what the Lord says. Are you, build, are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of the... I'm sorry, I only have one through six, but I'm going to read one more. Did I ever say to any of the rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people of Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? tribe? This is God sending Nathan to King David, and he says, Who told you to build me a house? Mm. I mean, this had to feel like a ton of bricks for David, right? Remember, he is known as the king after God's own heart, and now he went from being in the center of God's life, in the will of God, to not only not in the center, And not in the will, but he didn't have the Lord's blessing. Tribe, what what the scripture's telling David is, he said, you are building stuff that I did not command you to build. And so my question to you this morning, to each one of you in 2022, is what are you building in your life that God has never commissioned you to build? What are you holding on to Because you believe this is what God wants me to hold on to. And you haven't realized that maybe what you're holding on to is preventing you from your pure destiny. My grandfather would tell you, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, is the definition of insanity. And I fear that some of us have been wandering around in this merry-go-round Waiting for this ride to get better than just going around in circles. It was fun when you were three and four, but it's not fun when you're 13 and 14. Come on, somebody. I know you ain't that old. You can remember those days. Hey, go ride that with your sister. Really? Oh, I don't want to ride that. I want to ride the roller coaster. Your sister's too little. She can't ride it. You're going to have to wait. Come on, somebody. I know I wasn't the only one that had to ride the merry-go-round. Some of you You're scrolling social media about your friends' lives, trying to live vicariously through their life instead of living your life. We've got to be careful. So the deep, hard question is this. When we construct our lives, what are we building? And are we building something that is honoring God Oh. I don't think you heard what I said. Are you building something in your life that's honoring God? Because that's what we hope for is that our life brings joy to the Lord, right? That our life glorifies Him. So to say that you could be building something that God has not even commanded you to build is heart wrenching. It's frightening. But we have this tendency to build things that God never asked us to build. Some of us are building a secure life. Point number one. Things are so crazy out there that we think that the best thing that we can do is build a safe life. Come on. And so the reason that many of us are, are, are shooting for a certain amount of money in our retirement fund is, is because we feel safe if we have that certain amount of money when we retire. The same is true in why we keep our relationships tight. It makes us feel secure. It is why we don't make waves. It is why we don't make decisions. It is why we we scroll people's social media looking for other avenues. Oh, wow, that's so amazing with the life they live. I wish I could live that life. And we live this secure life. Some of us, in this room we are living a spectacular life point number two this is a new type of life that people especially if you're young you're building this is this life says that I want to go to the fullest and I want to live life to the fullest and I want to experience it all these are people listen to me they they are up in a concert one night and the next night, they're at a ball game. And the next night, they're out with their friends. And I mean, they go on and on and on. I mean, they, their schedule is insane. And their Instagram feed is awesome. I mean, they're living this YOLO life. And for those who don't know what YOLO life is, it's you only live once life. And they're living this spectacular life. There are some of us, We're living the selfish life. Now, we don't call it that. We don't call it a selfish life. But let's be honest. The life that you're building is about you. Come on, tribe. The, The reason you can't serve on the dream team and serve others is because you don't have enough time in your schedule to fit that in. It's not a priority to you. The the reason that you're not generous is because, well, you haven't acquired enough financial resources to give yourself a comfortable life, so therefore you can't be generous until you are comfortable. It's about you. The reason that you can't have deep relationships with anyone is because reality is, every relationship you have has to be about you and only you, and you have to benefit from it. No. I know you're sitting there thinking, wow, am I a bad person? No, you're not a bad person. It's just that the blueprint of your life is about you. And I would say that every one of us are building a successful life. All of us are building this kind of life that now there's a definition, and that definition is different from every one of us. But we're all building a a successful life. Some of us are building that retirement life. I'm building for retirement. Some of us want that white picket fence. Some of us want that online followers. Many of us want that life to be safe and secure and, and whatnot. Then there are those in this audience that your successful life is that when you reach the top of the corporate ladder. And you'll sacrifice everything to get there. There are different definitions for each and every one of us. But they all have the same motive. Tribe culture tells us that you, until you have blank, you will not be happy. Happy and enjoy a successful life. So you and I, we must determine what our blank is. Now here's what's so interesting about David's story and about mine and about your life. David wasn't building a wrong thing from a bad intention. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to get your attention. He thought that what he was building was God-honoring. And that is why we, we that's what we do so often. Is the, the problem is you don't have bad intentions. The problem is that you're building on a wrong foundation. It's your plan, not God's. And tribe, the plan, if it's your plan and God is not honored in it and God's not in the the equation, it will eventually cost you. I I recently read the story about this uh, retired couple that, bought this plot of land in Smithville, Texas, right, and and they they bought this land, and, and, it, and they had this vision, this dream home, This they called it their forever home, and so they hired the construction crew, they cleared out the land, and, and they watched from their RV as they cleared out the land, and the construction crew, two years to build their forever home, and they built this amazing home, and they moved all their stuff into it, and they're sitting there, and they're enjoying life, and they're like, man, this is the, the best thing that's ever happened to us, we saved and we we did all that we did in life to get to this point and man it was their forever home their dream home their dream had come true and then in one moment their dream became a nightmare because there was a knock on the door and an old gentleman says um I, I don't know how to tell you all this um but you have built your house on my property and, and they're like, nah, we're being, we're being played, this is a scam, this is a ruse. And the gentleman said, listen, I don't know how to explain this to you, but somehow the surveyors flipped the land. You were supposed to build over there, but you built here. And, and I would imagine that if they were here today, they would try to help you not build on something that God hasn't asked you to build. That they would try to warn you, do your due diligence, seek the Lord in all your ways. Because man, nothing will be more devastating as you build something and discover that it was the wrong thing or at the wrong place. All your time and effort and money spent on building something and God didn't even honor it. Excuse me. I don't want that to happen to you. I don't want that 10 years from now you look back and say, man, I built a life, but it's not really God honoring. I don't want you to get to the end of the life and you say, I achieved comfort, but I missed my calling. I don't know the couple, but I'm certain if they were here, they would give us some wisdom. So God sent Nathan to help David and he, he has sent me today to, to help you and, and help you say we have gotten a bit too comfortable and our aim is off. We are building stuff not out of a bad heart, but we are building something that God has not intended us to build. <coughs> God did not call you to, be, to build a safe life. <clears throat> God did not call you to build a spectacular life or a life about you or a successful life. I hope you're ready. He has called you to build a significant life for His glory. And some of you are living way too small and way too um, simple and way too mundane and way too predictable. You're living a life that's safe and cautious. And in, in, in my study, I discovered something. I, I discovered that God has so much more for us. But several of us resist the movement, several of us resist the risk. Some of you are living a life for validation. And you're more concerned with what position you have at work and uh, how much money you earn and what outfit you wear and the car that you drive and the songs you sing on Sunday and how we do church. You're validated because of those reasons. But listen to me. The true validation doesn't come from those things. True validation comes from God who grafted you and anointed you, and gifted you, and sent you to make a difference. That's your validation, to make a difference in someone's life. Then there are those of us that are looking for God's approval in everything that we do. And we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're waiting, because we haven't heard the word. And that's not the God that we serve. God said, I've called you. So we have to pause, right? We have to pause. God, what is it that you want me to do? What is it you commissioned my life to do? And now I'm going to get really, really deep on you. I have discovered that the DNA in each and every one of us is God's gift, is God's DNA. Amen? We all agree? God's DNA. Remember two years ago I preached a sermon series on the Adams Family? Da-da-da-da. Da-da-da. Right? And I told you that his DNA is our DNA. And, and what I have discovered is, is God made you and I to be risk takers. God made you and I to be eternally minded. God made you and I to be spirit led people. So, so let's dive into those, those three points for a few minutes. Point number one, risk taking. Now. In 1800s, there was a man named Ernest Shackleton. Anybody ever heard of Ernest Shackleton? Hey, there's, a, there's someone. And he decided to do something that no man had ever done before in the 1800s. He wanted to take an expedition across the Antarctic. And in order to do that, he was going to have to have a team of men to do this amazing journey. And so he took out an ad in the London Times, and I want to read this to you. And here's what the ad says. The ad says this. Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. I read that and said, man, that's an ad for pastoring. I'm just joking, just joking. And Mr. Shackleton said, if you're interested applicants, please come to 4th Burlington Street and ask for Ernest Shackleton. Now, Ernest was very honest, and he never dreamed that he would ever have anyone respond to the ad. So he was shocked when 5,000 men and women showed up wanting to take this journey. That's why I'm telling you tribe, God wrote in our DNA, risk-taking. Risk-taking. I know this because it is the risk in our life that causes us to live in faith. Tribe, we live in faith. That is a risk above all risks. Faith not by sight. I actually think that it's our fallen nature it's our fallen nature that causes us to play it safe. Listen to me this morning. Safe is a sin. Because it causes you to not depend on God. Look, 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 look at Hebrews 11 and 6. Hebrews 11 6. You can never please God without faith, without depending on him. Anyone who wants to come to God must believe that there is a God and that he rewards those who sincerely look for him. Let me say it like this. When we build a life that is predictable and we build a life that is secure, we build a life where God is not necessary. I'm going to say it again because some of you didn't hear it. When we build a life that's predictable and we build a life that is safe and secure, we're building a life that God is not necessary. And that is not God honoring. Oh, I'm going to get you all's attention. I know I will. And if you read that rest of that chapter in Hebrews 11, just read the whole chapter, you will see story after story after story of how God used people mightily. And there's two words that always follow, that proceed, that started off by faith. Noah builds an ark and tells the people, <coughs> get ready, it's about to pour water from the sky. It has never rained until then. By faith, Abram leaves his country leaves his people and goes to a city that he does not know to start a whole new nation at the age of 75. By faith, Moses stands before the most powerful Pharaoh of all the earth and says, let my people go. And all he had was a staff in one hand and some stuttering lips in his mouth. By faith. By faith, by faith. And not once, Pastor Ian, did it say, by safe, by faith. Because see, each one of them got into a position, oh, hallelujah, mm, where they lived their lives with so much risk. They, they lived their lives on the edge and say, okay, Lord, I'm gonna put myself in a position where I'm gonna risk it all. I'm gonna either look stupid and helpless, or you're going to have to intervene and step in and do something. And that's where we have to be. Because we've got to get to a place in 2022 that we've never been before. We've got to get to that place where it says, you know, I'm going to look stupid and helpless if this doesn't work. But I'm going to put myself out there. Lord, I'm, I'm forcing your hand. You better do something. We've got to be risk takers. Thirteen years ago, we planted a new life sanctuary. That was a risk. Not one of us ever planted a church, ever. Thirteen years later, look where we're at. We've got to put ourselves in that position. So I ask you this, where is your life? If God doesn't show up and you look ridiculous and helpless... Now, be careful, because if you can't pinpoint something in your life where you'll look ridiculous and helpless if God doesn't step up, then it's because you're not living a God-honoring life. We've got to put ourselves in that position. Have you ever heard, no guts, no glory? Yeah. If you live with no guts, God gets the glory. Hallelujah. And if if you live with guts, God gets the glory. If you live with no guts, God doesn't get the glory. Come on, somebody. Point number two is we have to be eternally minded. We have to be, I got to hurry. Sorry, Lacey, I'm going to be a little bit late. I don't know anybody anywhere. I'm just going to give you the bad news. Every one of us suffer from a disease. And it's called mortality. It's 100%. You can eat all the kale you want. At some point in life, we're all going to be put in the ground. So we better be eternally minded. Come on, somebody. We have to decide where we're going to spend eternity. And there's only two options. Heaven with God forever. Hell without God forever. Now, I know that sounds old school, but it's clear. And I must be clear. I must be clear because it doesn't deter... Where you spend eternity does not, is not determined by how much you give a church and how often you attend church and how much prayer time you have and how good of a person you have. Where you determine your destiny for eternity, it determines based on your relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus is the road to eternity. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And once you settle that, that's just part one. Because what matters here on earth doesn't matter what in heaven. And too many of us are focused on what matters here and now. And we're not focusing on what will matter in heaven. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. <clears throat> I want to take you all back to eighth grade. Can we go back to eighth grade? I want you to go back to 8th grade, but I don't want you to stop there. I want you to take your mind back to 8th grade. You're back in 8th grade, and you're in your Algebra 2 class. Mm -hmm. Now, I am in Miss Maddox's class. Miss Maddox is allergic to chalk, so she uses an overhead projector. Come on, about those overhead projectors, right? And she would write on her overhead, right? And I'm going to be honest with you, uh, Algebra 2 was a struggle for me. Come on, somebody. Something happened when they put letters in mathematical equations. It didn't make sense to me. I understood 1 plus 1 equals 2. I didn't understand what N plus P equals X. I didn't understand that, right? And 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 so go back to 8th grade, Algebra 2, letters in your math equations. You're struggling. You're wrestling with it. <coughs> you have to wear more deodorant on test day. Come on, somebody. Right? And And... Your whole world evolves around Algebra two math class. And it can mess your day up. But then what happens is somewhere along the line you graduate from high school and letters are never in a mathematical equation again. I mean, you don't go to Publix and say, I like L of bananas, please. You don't go to a car dealer and say, I will give you P for that car. No, but what was relevant and what seemed so important in that eighth grade math class has no bearing today. What we think is so important today may have no bearing when we get to heaven. And listen, we're going to spend trillions of years in heaven more than we spent on earth. We have to be eternal-minded, We have to set our sights on the realities of heaven. We can't look for stuff and fame and position and titles. We can't live for the moment because it carries no value. Everything that we do must be set in motion so we can prepare for tomorrow. How many times have I said what we do today, I'm hoping that the next pastor that fills my shoes doesn't have to do half the work. And if we do it right, they won't have to do half the work. Tribe, when we get to heaven, you will be greeted at the pearly gates. And, and during the check-in process, someone's going to give you a VCR tape. This crowd knows what a VCR tape is. I ain't going to explain that, right? Uh, the younger crowd, I have to explain, it's some ancient technology that our parents used, right? But, but the tape is going to be titled, What? if what my life might have been if I fully trusted God. And you're going to watch this video of your life and what your resources might have been if you had trusted him to be generous. And what your giftedness might have been if you would have just trusted him and actually served. And what your character would have looked like and you decided to live a life open and honest and allowed others to help you along the way. What your relationship would have looked like if you decided to allow him to lead you into those relationships. (coughs) Excuse me. And you would have to sit there and watch and imagine what life would have been. No, VCR is not in heaven, I know. But the illustration is accurate. Point number three, and I gotta run, I, I promise you, I gotta run, is we have to be spirit led. This guy shows up at the pearly gates, Peter's there waiting to greet him, says, Welcome to heaven. And you are going to be granted access to heaven because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. But listen, today and today only, if you can provide me with some honorable event that you did on earth while you were alive, I can upgrade your room accommodations. And so the guy says, oh, and so Peter said, you have anything, you got anything? And he goes, well, you know what? I do. There was one time I was in this bar and I was having a few beers and um, this biker gang pulled in. They came in and they started harassing the waitress and it really offended me. So I stepped up and I said, hey, 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 you will not treat her like that. And this biker gang, mean, angry, bunch of hoodlums, said, "And what are you gonna do about it? And he said, I looked at him and said, you will not do that while I am here. You will not treat her that way. You will treat her with respect. Because then I picked out the meanest, baddest, ugliest dude and I slapped him in his face. And then I went outside, and I kicked his bike, and like a domino effect, all the bikes fell to the ground. Peter's like, man, this is my kind of guy. And he's like a guy that pulls a sword and cuts an ear off. I like this guy. When did this happen? Oh, a few minutes ago. Listen, we have to be risk-taking, but it's got to be spirit-led, All right? It's got to be spirit-led. We, we, we can't be... We can't be foolish. We've got to be spirit-led. And so I'm going to end with this story. And then I'm going to be done. I, 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 know, I promised Lacey a few minutes, but I've got I to give this story. I am praying that this church finds this quickening again. The quickening of God. It's an old-fashioned word, but it doesn't fall short on you all. We need to find that moment where God quickens us and we move. In 1908, John Perkins and his wife felt the quickening of God to go to Africa. They had never been to Africa. They didn't know much about Africa. But they felt the quickening of God to go to Africa. So they got on a ship and they set sail to Africa. And when that ship turned the the corner um, to Gowerway Bay, they felt a quickening that said, this is where you're going to get off and you're going to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people of Liberia. At the same moment that they felt the quickening of God, a, a man from Liberia named Jasper Toe felt a quickening of God that said, go to Gowerway Bay tomorrow morning. And so he looks into the stars and he says, God, I need you to show me more of you. Now Jasper only knew of God. He didn't know of Jesus and he only knew of God through his tribal traditions. But this quickening made him get up in the morning and walk seven miles to the beach of Galway Bay. And the Lord's told him, when you get there, you will see a box in the middle of the ocean with smoke coming out of it. And then you'll see another box coming ashore with people on it. Those people will show you who I am. So the Perkins family is around in that corner and they get to Galway Bay and they tell the captain, hey, we want to get off here. And he said, are you nuts? These people here are cannibals. That is a dangerous area. I'm not, I'm not docking. But I will give you enough time to unload all your belongings into a canoe and you can take your own risk Risk-taking. You can go ashore, but understand those natives are dangerous. And they felt the quickening of God say, go ashore. And so as they set sail in this little canoe, Jasper Toe arrives, sees a box with smoke coming out of it, and sees another box coming towards shore. And the Perkins arrive on the shoreline, and there is Jasper. They don't speak either of his language, but they feel... The welcoming spirit. And they follow him seven hours back to his village. And there they spend years ministering the gospel. Leading Jasper Toe to Jesus Christ. Two years later, they go back home. Leaving Jasper Toe in Liberia. Planting spirit-filled churches. Across that continent. The Bible, not the Bible, the, the, the story is said that he's planted over a hundred churches. Today, if you would go to Wikipedia and look up Liberia, the number one um, faith is Christianity, not Muslim. And I would suggest that these two never met Jasper Toe. But because of his ministry, these two come to know the Lord. I share that story with you because we have to be risk-taking. We have to be risk-taking, tribe. We have to be eternally minded. And we have to be spirit-led. If we want to see what God has for us at this place, we're going to have to take some risks. And we can't be safe anymore. Amen? Father, I pray that you'll minister to the people as they lead today and that they receive this word and they begin to understand where I'm coming from. We want to honor you. We want to live a life that honors you. So Lord, open the floodgates, pour out your spirit into us and help us Help us get to that place where you want us to be. Help us build what you've commissioned us to build and bring those that are far from you into a deep relationship with you. I pray this prayer, Lord. Be with the people. In your mighty name I pray. Amen. Love you all, God.